Welcome to Through the Glass Recovery Podcast, where we believe that connection is the opposite of addiction, vulnerability is the antidote to shame, and that recovery isn't just rewarding, but it's also a lot of fun. We're your hosts, Steve and Julie. Listen as we get together with friends to shed light on the hard things, talk about the other side of addiction, and how we create a life so full, there's no space left for alcohol. In this episode, you'll hear from our friends Debs, Brian, and Antia as we chat with them about rebuilding trust now that we're in recovery, which we all know isn't easy to do. We'll talk about trust in our marriages, trust in relationships with our kids and family members, and most importantly, learning to trust ourselves again as we gain our footing in sobriety. Remember that every time you hit like, or especially subscribe or follow, it lets the podcast platforms know that you think we've shared valuable content here and other people that might benefit from our podcast will be more likely to see it. So we're here tonight with Debs, Brian, and Antia. Do you guys want to go ahead and introduce yourselves for me real quick? Okay, I'll start. (laughs) Thank you for inviting me. It's a pleasure to be here. Um, I am Debs. I am 60 in November. I'm here in Australia, down under, after spending 21 years on the um, in the United States. Thank you for asking me to join you. Pleasure. Thanks for coming, Devs. Brian. Sure, I can go next. Thank you. Hi, uh, my name is Brian. I'll be 46 on Monday, so birthday coming up. I live in New Jersey. I am married with two daughters and one dog. Um, I've been I've been on a sober journey. I looking at my notes. Um, this is my fourth go round at this. So I started in in 2015 and was sober for four and a half years, uh, and then I had um, I relapsed, and then I've had two other stints where I relapsed, and this is the fourth time. So uh, yeah, that's me in a nutshell. It sounds like you're doing really great now. So we're super glad you're here and glad you're doing well. Antia. Yeah. Hi. Thanks for having me. My name is Antia and I'm 44. I am also married and have two children. Um, They're 15 and 12 right now. And I have been trying to moderate how much I drink for almost two years, starting actually with the beginning of the pandemic where I decided I'm only going to drink on the weekends and was hoping for the longest time that at some point this would get easy to not white knuckle through Monday through Thursday and uh, <laughs> count the hours on Friday until I got home. So it never did. And then after a while, I couldn't hold it together anymore and decided to let it go and drink every day again. That was last year in the fall until Christmas, New Year's. And then I thought I need to get it together and couldn't. And that was the end. And I decided that's it. I'm going to quit. And so I've been now eight and a half months sober and never look back that this this was the best decision but it's still hard to stay on track so it gives me goosebumps that it's been eight and a half months because i remember (laughs) meeting you when you were about one weekend so super cool yep the same thing happened here (laughs) just i can just feel it all it's awesome thank you it really is thank you stuff i'm really glad you guys are all here tonight so for most of us while we were still drinking we did some pretty awful stuff Some of it was just cringy, embarrassing stuff that was unpleasant to think about the next day if we remembered it. 
but some of the things we did affected not just ourselves, but others and our relationships with them. Alcohol damages relationships. Trust gets broken. When have you had to rebuild trust? What did that look like? Well, I can I could go first. Uh, just open. So I will tell you when I when I thought about Steve told me the the topic and I thought about how I wanted to talk to it. I thought about it in terms of my trust with my sobriety, uh, which I don't know why it didn't dawn on me, you know, as I, as I heard you just ask that question, Julie, I can certainly talk a lot about, um, I'm married, but my marriage is going through a pretty big strain right now. And in, in very, very large part due to, um, to my drinking, I'm not even, I'm not at my, I'm actually at my parents' house right now. We're at a point where we're taking a, a break and I'm optimistic we'll turn it around, but yeah, things have gotten bad. So the trust with my wife, um, Maybe I'll come back to that, but that's that's definitely uh, something I can talk about. So I mentioned um, I've had four different, this is my fourth stint. I'm on day 68. My first stint in sobriety was four and a half years. It was June 3rd, 2015. I went to a happy hour. Buddy was leaving, go find, take another job. And I wound up getting at the happy hour too friendly with a, a female coworker. I mean, it was in the bar, nothing. It was, you know, PG, PG 13, somewhere in the middle. It wasn't anything. No, it wasn't an affair, but. But I was drunk and I would never have done that if I, if I wasn't. So so I told my wife the next day and I just, the look on her face, like, you know, it, it would just, it, it, it hurts me to think about it now. Um, she didn't give me any ultimatums or anything like that, but, you know, she's, she, you know, she's pregnant with our second kid and going through that and taking care of our first child who's not even two years old and, and, and you know, putting her body through all that stuff and what my, my you know, my my gratitude or my, you know, I show my gratitude by going out and doing that. So I was just like, no, you know, fuck this. Um, I got to stop. I, I thought about it in the past and I just never had the guts, but we, we dumped everything. We, we I told her I was going to give it up again. She didn't give me any ultimatum. I made the decision, dumped it all. I had at this time we lived in Northern uh, Virginia, the DC, Washington DC area. I had the basement was like a man cave. We had I had like, I was a member of Beer of the Month Club or whatever. So I had all these bottles and stuff. Like, I mean, all of it just went, you know, and I dumped it or if there's bottles that run open, gave those away, whatever. And I think that went a long way at that point to restoring the trust. But I, I, I back, I'm going to, I'm going to pause there. So the, the three, the three things that I think um, about when I'm trying, when I'm talking, thinking about my trust in sobriety with respect to myself are, do I trust myself not to break or crack? That's number one. Number two is, do I trust the person I am when I'm sober, which maybe sounds odd, but I can explain that. And then number three, I thought about, and this is the most dangerous one for me, and I hate even saying it out loud, but you know, we're, we're about transparency, right? So do I trust that I really want to maintain my sobriety? And I say that because, and Steve knows you know, this little bit of my story, that, that time, that, that four and a half years ended in November over the, the Thanksgiving holiday in the US, I was at home uh, in, here in Pennsylvania with my dad and my brother. And of all things, we were watching football. And I'm like, they were drinking light, light beer. And I mean, I was, I was a beer drinker, but the, I like, I like liquor, hard stuff. So light beer, I'll have a couple of light beers. It's been four and a half years. I've got this under control. It was a conscious decision is my point, you know? And that, that led me down a slippery slope. That was November, 2019, all the way until, like Steve said, he and I met in March of, of last year. It was like, I don't know, March 15th or something like that. Right. So, so that, that was my first, I don't want to say failure. There's probably a nicer way to say it, but that was my first, you know, flip. Um, and it was a conscious decision. 
So do I trust the person I am when I'm sober? I, I was, I, I put that down because I think uh, I, and I have a lot of uh, self-confidence issues or self-esteem issues. I always have. And as a lot of people who are alcoholics can probably relate to when you drink, that goes away to a degree, right? So anytime there's a social situation or any kind of, you know, anything, family gathering, whatever, I, you know, since I've been an adult, I've wanted to have something in my hand. And when I do, I'm relaxed and I'm confident and I'm fun and I'm funny. And when I don't, you know, and to this day at you know, nearly 46 years old, I still feel like I'm just, you know, I, I dread being in those situations and not being able to have that, you know, that liquid courage. So I can, I can manage that. I have, um, you know, I, I know I, I can, cause I did for four and a half years. It's hard for me, but it's doable. So I worry, I have to watch that one. I have to keep my guard up, but that's, that's, that's something I can, you know, I can control. The, the one that scares me the most though is, do I want to maintain my sobriety? Um, the, the, the second time I, 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 I lost my sobriety was, I would say, because I cracked. It was due to, and I can talk more about this if you'd like, but it was due to, unfortunately, uh, another, and this time was, was flat out infidelity, uh, uh, you know, relationship I had. And, you know, hence why my marriage is strained right now to this extent that it is. Uh, and I just finally, over this, the, 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 the guilt and the shame and the struggle of not knowing what I wanted, I'm hurting two people that I care about, whatever. That one, I would say, I just cracked under the pressure and drank, and that was in August, uh, August third of last year, and I and I drank all the way through till January second, and had a had a, a sort of a life changing event on January second that caused me to stop drinking again, and I maintained my sobriety from January third all the way until I don't know, it was June June twenty eighth or 29th of this year. It was stupid, but again, I guess I'm, I want to come back to that because for three weeks from June to early July, I drank pretty much every day. Not, not because I cracked, but because I just wanted to. I was like, I miss it, you know? I like to drink, and I want to drink. And I was going, th- I mean, yeah, I was going through some strain and some strife and some emotion, and that fed into it, I'm sure, but it was that conscious decision again. So so maybe I'll pause there, but yeah, I just, just to, I wish I would have thought more about talking about rebuilding the trust for my wife, and I and I can and I will, but, um, you know, that what I, what I had prepared to say was more about do I trust sobriety? Do I trust my own sobriety? I didn't think about rebuilding the trust I had damaged with somebody else. You know, I feel kind of silly not thinking about that. But. No, I think rebuilding the trust with ourselves, I think, has to happen before we can even start to rebuild trust with anyone else. The worst relationship I damaged was the one with my oldest daughter. There's no way I could go to her and ask her to trust me if I couldn't first trust myself. That wouldn't be fair to her to ask for her trust if I didn't feel like I could trust myself. My big thing was being such a perfectionist and all this pressure that I put on myself that I felt like was being put on me, everything, and I would be perfect and I would be perfect and I would be perfect and then I would crack and I would fall apart and it would either just be like sobbing, crying on the floor in the bathroom or it would be raging, throwing shit, breaking things, screaming, absolute, complete, out-of-control meltdown. And that wasn't necessarily when I was drunk. That was just when I cracked under all the pressure and I couldn't be perfect anymore. And my oldest daughter said it once perfectly. She's like, I know that in four or five months, it's going to happen again. I could usually hold it together for four or five months and then I would fall apart. 
And she was absolutely right. Like she could feel the cycle. She could feel when it was coming again. And the very last time that I drank, um, well, I guess maybe not the very last time that I drank, my rock bottom was the worst meltdown I ever had. And it was a couple months later, I asked her for her forgiveness. And I told her I don't expect her to trust me. But I asked her to let me show her that she could trust me. And she, I like, I don't even blame her. She was just waiting for it to happen again. Just waiting. And then six months went by. And I think maybe she kind of started to trust that maybe I was going to keep it together. But, I mean, it took me that long to prove to myself that I was going to keep it together. I mean, I had to completely give up trying to be perfect. I had to just go ahead and own all of my flaws because that was the first step to being able to control my emotions and prove to myself that I could be a good person who could not completely lose her shit over things. And it took a lot of just time. You can't just tell somebody I'm changing and expect them to believe you, especially when you've been doing the same damn thing for their whole life. I mean, I, I think that's something that I I need to say to my wife, what you just said. I really like that. I mean, I remember that. Yeah, I don't expect you to, tr- to trust me. I don't deserve you to trust me, but I'm going to ask you, to, you know, if you can find it in yourself to, to let me prove it to you or, or, or however you said that. But um, and you're, you're absolutely right. I feel better now talking about trust and relationship to myself because, yeah, if, if I don't trust myself to stay so- sober, why the hell should I expect her to trust me? Brian, I was thinking we're in the same direction too. So you're not the only one. <laughs> yes, and I can relate to these things. And especially when uh, you were talking about your struggles with your wife, I remember laying in bed the night before our wedding, struggling not with the decision that I want to, that I'm going to get married, but struggling with the thought that I still had secrets and I still had all these issues that I did not tell him and how unfair that was for him to just let him right walk into this, what I thought was this messed up person that he didn't really know because I was hiding so much. So I do remember that. And that was something that I thought of when I saw the question that um, came down to, yeah, how, you know, how that all unfolded over 22 years of marriage. Then, Because of course, you know, it does show up at some point and I made the decision, for example, so I'm not just coming from a history of just drinking. It was a class addiction that was an eating disorder beforehand that I kept secret that was pretty severe and managed to, and he was so oblivious to it all that it was hurt, so hurtful to him when I finally came out and told him that he felt like such a fool that he didn't see it the whole time. That was actually what was so damaging to this relationship that I had held it back because I was so afraid he would take over and dictate how I would somehow deal with it. And he was on the other hand, so hurt that he felt like such a fool for not seeing it and for not like, so it, yeah, that was part of it. And then also this deep hurt for me not wanting to tell him. So it was a big a struggle we had to overcome there where I, we, we basically ended up uh, agreeing that I told him that the biggest fear was that he would be controlling. And so we ended up making an agreement that every 15th of the month, 
I would let him know how I'm doing. And the rest of the time, he wouldn't ask. (laughs) So I wouldn't feel like I had to constantly report when I was failing in something. But at the same time, he wouldn't be left in the dark. And so we did that for a while. And after a while, I actually kept saying, it's actually okay. So anyways, I don't need to go further down that road. But that's kind of where this is going. And with, you know, trusting and how do you rebuild trust when you feel like such a crappy person for holding back something that you know you should share and be open about and you just can't even though that other person wants nothing but good things for you and it is just really really hard and how hurtful that then is when you come out years later (laughs) open up and then all of a sudden you think okay, now we're, and, and then that causes so much pain in the other person because you have deceived, deceived that person for so long and that person feels so, yeah, yeah. So I, 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 I struggled with that. This is why it is so important. And I'm sorry, I didn't say to your listeners that I am at day 620. This is Deb's from Down Under and I too am married and I don't want to sober for any day of my marriage, and I'm coming up to 21 years, apart from the last 20 months. And it's so important to be true to ourselves. And I think in any relationship, even with people that we may not trust, it's only time that we'll actually fix that, right? We have to show by example. And this is what's important that we're doing this and getting the word out there, because right now there are so many people sitting, probably listening to this, thinking, I'm hiding this. I mean, we just discussed before, three out of the five of us have just come out on Facebook. I've had my closest friend's husband come to me, and I've known her since I was 12. And you, I mean, we can all sit from afar now and notice the people that we believe may have an issue, and in time, those people may actually come to us. But self-trust, like Julie said, is the most important thing. I trust myself today. And whilst those around me didn't say that they didn't trust me, their actions would sort of show that, you know, that they really didn't, i.e. my sister with her children would never let me take the kids into the car on my own. And I look back now and I see all these situations that I didn't get to do what I would have liked to have done and I can understand why because there was a risk factor involved. And they always say, you know, always ask yourself, am I drinking to the point where I am safe? And back then I was not. So she did the right thing. Today, it would be a different a different scenario. So we have to give ourselves grace. We have to be patient and we have to have time to let it just work itself out. And I don't know when it changes and when it unfolds that people just then look at you and know that you are different and will trust you again. But we have to lead by example. And I know with my husband, he still drinks and that's fine. I said to him, I don't mind him drinking, but I... I'm not living with a drunk and I couldn't understand why he would, when we were in Miami and I was in a bubble there, I mean, I didn't really have any friends or family there and we had transferred for work and that's when my drinking got really, really bad. And I also know by giving it a break, which I had done for a few years back for maybe two and a half months, that when I went back to it, I drank more than ever. And I know that that's a fact because I've been through DUI classes and they have taught us that if you have any spell of alcohol for a period of time and then you then go back to it, your body is going to want more and make up for lost time. And that was something that I was not aware of. But, you know, 
trust is a beautiful thing. I can trust myself today and that I'm forever grateful. It's an incredible feeling to finally get that back, isn't it? Absolutely. I remember not being able to trust myself to drive home my first day back at work. I could I couldn't trust myself to drive home day day it was that was day two from work. I couldn't I couldn't I didn't have any money. I didn't have I didn't have any money or a credit card or anything. And I still couldn't trust myself to drive home. That's, that's like, it was, it's physically impossible. But when you have a problem like what we have, anything is possible. Like you figure out how to make it work. And that's what I was scared of. How was I going to make it work? You know, you ask somebody for money, I'll get it for you later, whatever it was. I just didn't want to do any of that. There's the trust in myself. I don't know. That started so small. I essentially just went into a bubble and didn't do anything outside of like, go to work, go home, go to a meeting, go to work, go home, go to a meeting, go to work. Pretty much that was it until I like, it it was just to get the trust to drive, to do something not let alone the trust of my wife or anything else i i couldn't even consider that that was way too far beyond any thought i had at that time it was just like how can i get through the day i had to trust myself to get just to get through there just from point a to point b because i had pretty much ruined it everywhere else at least in my own mind i mean like you said you start to learn that your actions are going to speak louder than those words. Okay, if I just keep doing essentially the next right thing, I just keep hanging on and if I keep starting to tell the truth and I start owning my part, my side, then, then things will change. Things change inside first. And then on the outside, it's like, watching your child grow up you don't see them grow up you don't every day they grow just a wee little bit wee little bit wee little bit and then you turn around and you look at a picture from a year ago and you're like holy cow you grew four inches like where did that did that happen except for if it was like a cousin or something like that and you see them once every six months they look different because they grew all those people around you don't see anything different it's just a small change so, I mean, the image of you, the way I see it as the image of me in my relationship, it's hard to change that because the growth is really hard to see. It takes time, like you said, Deb's patience and the trust. I think the most important, like we've all said, is the, is the trust in ourselves and then how that shows up everywhere else in the relationships and then in the conversations and how, like Deb said, how you're treated, even how my kids react. My children, if if anything, they were the first ones because they forgive really, really easily. They they forget really, really fast, and all they want is your attention and they and they want your love. And all of a sudden, they start getting it, a version of you that's way better than what was before. And they're just happy. Isn't that encouraging, though? Like, that's your first cue. Hey, I'm doing something right. 
right? I think that's really neat. When my kids started coming to me when they had a problem, yeah, because they trusted that I would help take care of that problem for them. They came over for a hug because they needed a hug. I don't remember that they may have done that, but I don't remember it. I don't, there's a lot of those times that I don't remember because I was too far gone to remember those, whether it's the re- hurrying up and reading a book before bed or whatever that was, not even knowing the st- skipping over words and pages just to get done with that. And here they are, not three months later, coming and asking for basically emotional support, one that, you know, you, you're, you're not present for before, just that's, I think, the first place it shows up in human contact was my kids. Absolutely. And it's the energy that you bring. Your energy is changing, right? Nonverbal communication is a huge part of what we sense and who we are. I mean, there are basically 20 great benefits that change in 30 days, and physically we look differently. The light is back in our eyes. That's a mm-hmm. big one. You're present. Those children can feel... And you've now given them a safe space. It is about them and everyone around us feeling safe around us again, where before they would have some doubt, in my case anyway. Yeah. That's been the biggest factor. One thing that Steve said sparked a thought. I'm going to kind of take it a different direction. I hope that's okay. I read a book a long time ago when I was drinking heavily. Most of you have probably heard of it. It's called Girl, Wash Your Face by Rachel Hollis there was one chapter that was like a slap in the face and it's about keeping promises to yourself. And I don't, it's been years since I read it. So I'm not going to say this the way she said it in the book, but I prioritize keeping promises to other people. Absolutely. If I promise you that I'm going to show up somewhere, I'm probably going to do it. And like, unless something serious gets in the way, if I promise myself something, there's a really good chance. I'm just going to blow that off. And I think we have to, like, that's how we learn to trust ourselves, right? We keep promises to ourselves. If I promise my kid something and I don't follow through, the next time I promise her something, she's not going to trust me. And we build that up over time. Like, to ourselves, we make promises to ourselves constantly that we just forget by five o'clock when the wine witch is calling, right? Every single day you wake up, I'm not going to drink again tonight. Mm -hmm. And by five o'clock, you're like, never mind, it's fine. Like, you wouldn't do that if it was your kid and you promised you were going to take them to the skating rink and be like, oh, never mind, it, it doesn't matter, right? And I think we have to have enough self-worth that we believe that we deserve to keep those promises to ourselves because we put ourselves at the very bottom. We'll keep a promise to every other person around us as much as we possibly can, but we don't treat ourselves with that kind of respect. And I think that's a really important step to take is to just acknowledge that we're just as important, maybe even more important than a lot of the other things that we're promising to do. Yeah, that kind of goes along with that I feel less like a fraud nowadays when I'm around my kids than I Mm -hmm. used to. Like, it was so painful to feel all that love and all that trust and everything that they brought to you and that like, they shouldn't if you wanted to sometimes say don't you know you're I can't deal with this I can't do this I am not what you think I am not who you think you know 
And now that I'm able to actually act without being blurry minded and I don't know what, I feel less fraud. I feel more able to actually live up to what they see in me. And that feels much better. That is beautiful and so true. Like when you get the Mother's Day card after you've been sober for a while and you finally right. feel like you deserve it and it doesn't just make you feel like shit. And it's not like the stupid lie that they don't see you. They don't really see you. You are such a freaking failure. You know? And now it's like, yes, I am doing the best I can. And that's actually my best motivation every day that I want to be able to look them in the eyes and say, I'm doing my best. And I didn't used to do my best. I was hiding. I was numbing everything. I felt I wasn't doing my best. Now, when you're there and they ask you for your 100%, you can give your 100%. Yep. Even if it's not perfect, it is my true 100%. And I think that is one of the most beautiful things about that is being able to teach your kids that it doesn't have to be perfect. Right. But this is my 100%. The other thing is, is having the courage to ask for help. I can't do this. It's okay if we go and ask for help. That's I mean, asking for help. There's trust written all over that. Just the fact that you turn around and ask for it, and saying, "Listen, I'm going to trust you with this," because that's the other thing we have to learn. Outside of that is how to trust other people again. Uh, how to trust them with our story. How to trust them with our vulnerability, something that we were just afraid of to begin with. I know I drank it away. I mean, sure, I didn't want to talk about it, but I guess not just trust in, our, in, in ourselves, just trust in other people, giving that away so it doesn't come back and harm us because Jesus Christ, I had to trust that I wasn't going to be judged, showed up at meetings, first place. Yeah. But just I, like oh. me. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. When I told my husband that I quit drinking and I was fighting that for a good 10 days, that I didn't tell him what was going on. And he just kept looking at me like, what's going on? You know, it just gave me space. I did not say anything. And then he finally, I still remember we were done with dinner. He sat down and he took my hand and he just looked at me and said, what is going on? And in that moment, I struggled. I looked away. I, I was like going in my head back and forth. Do I say something? Do I not? Do I say something? Oh my gosh, am I going to say something? And But this, then I thought back, you know, I did this wrong once and it hurt so much. You know, I'm not going to do this again. And so I told him and I trusted that he will not, yeah, like say, what again? Something that you kept sacred? What again? We're going through this that I trusted that he would. Yeah, that it wouldn't be a negative <laughs> response, so to speak. And we could get through this too. And he was very... He was actually quite confused and he thought, really, I think you're overreacting. It's not that bad. And I had to be more and more honest about what really was going on with the drinking. Uh, so he understood, but it was much easier than the first time. Yeah. And I trusted. That's the thing too, you know, you have to be honest. And if even when we may say little lies, and I know I'm thinking of friends here that have just, that their husbands or their wives will say little lies to them. But then it gets you thinking, well, what else are you actually hiding? And here's the thing in sobriety. We're only really ever 
not being honest with ourselves. There are many times we could all sneak drinks. There are many times we can go and hit the effort button and no one would know. But we would know and we've come too far and it is my fear of never going through that detox in those two weeks again that keeps me on this honest path of just keep going. I never, none of us ever have to do a detox again. And that feels bloody fantastic to me. You know, it's a healthy fear. But the one thing I was going to add, and it's a little bit off track too, is with the trust, my dog who I had for 12 years, Dixie Girl, you know, she was beautiful. She would sit with me in the apartment while hubby was working with the door closed. Do you know, this is a fact, if I went to that fridge and grabbed a bottle, she would bolt and go into the bedroom and go on the bed. And that breaks my heart to this day. She knew that somehow whatever was happening to me was going to change. Either I was going to get louder, I'd want to hug her more. You know how it goes. I mean, mm-hmm. our behavior changes, right, just slightly. But she sensed it. And I actually made amends to her too. She's not with us anymore. But if the dog knows, my God, how could you know everybody else around us not know? We think we're invisible when we're drinking. We think that we don't smell. We think that people don't know. They do. Your kids, you don't have to worry about how you smell anymore, Steve. Rather do you, Julie. Do you know what I mean? I don't. And that's a great feeling. I can smell it on others now. And I've got a friend at the moment, and I know maybe down the track this will happen. She is what I thought was a normie drinker. I can hear on the phone these days the bottle being unscrewed, and I know that it is wine. You know how our senses are so alive? And this is... And this is during the day, and I'm having the conversations with her about my sobriety. She's very close to me, but I know what is going on. And we just have to stay there and wait till the time is right, until she decides that maybe she does or maybe she doesn't want to address it, because it's not for us to say. Yep. Could say the same about my mom. Same thing. I'm on the phone. It's quite triggering, actually, still. I can hear how she pours the glass of wine, how she drinks it, the swallows. I can basically smell what it would smell like. like, And I get, yeah, part of me gets really upset that she's still drinking. Yeah, it is part of it. No, you can't change it. You can't do anything about it. You have to let her be. And it's, you know, not my job to convince her to quit. And she we had conversations and she doesn't want to. She's still painting the picture of this is her enjoyment. It's not. (laughs) So... The only thing we can really do in situations like that, though, I think that's where when we're honest with people and we let them know that we're struggling with alcohol, that it's something that we've, you know, that we're working on, we're in recovery, we're open and honest about that, that creates someone they can trust to come to whenever they are ready. That was one of the hardest things for me was finally trusting other people with my story. And I think that the more of us are honest and just talk about it, the more people will trust that they can talk to somebody. Yeah, and it is frustrating because, and I know this person has a water bottle with them, so I know, and I know they don't drink soda. So I'm not just saying, oh, they opened a bottle and it could be something else. I'm very much aware that it could be, but I know for a fact that it isn't. And it's just, as you said, we have to be patient to sit back. You know, a friend of mine says three Ps, people, Practice patience, persistence, and I always remember them too. I have my little mantras that I live by, and it's like from day one, I said, okay, I didn't know where to turn. I didn't know where to go. This was before. I don't think I found the app for three months, 
and I was just YouTubing and doing other things. But I was, I just said to myself, alcohol's irrelevant to me. And I said it 20 times a day, every day. And I still do. And I've rewired my brain. And now alcohol is irrelevant to me. I do not have cravings. I can't tell you the last time I've had cravings. And I've sat in pubs and I've sat through five and six hour lunches. The only thing that gets tiresome is when you kind of get lost in the conversation. And then I can smell the glasses on the table and things like that because my nose is so strong. Um, so again, we have to monitor and we and we're in control of what we do. You know, and a friend of ours, Shiki says, you know, the two, three, four hour rule. You know, two they're fine, talk to everybody in the first two hours, the three they start to turn and the four you're out of there. You know, because that's what happens. And everybody gets excited and the journey goes on. But, you know, we can be a part of it. And people think, I always thought I wasn't going to be fun. I was going to be boring. What am I going to do with that alcohol? I've drank for 40 years every day. This is, this is God, I'm going to be something. Like, who am I going to be? Well, guess what? It is so the opposite. And alcohol does lie to us. And it does promise everything that we don't receive. Sobriety promises. I mean, sobriety delivers what alcohol promises, right? That's what they say. So... You know, I mean, it's only in time that we learn these things and all our journeys are different. But we are happier, funnier. I laugh more today. And I love mm-hmm. just being around the people that I love being around. I just love it. It's just because I'm there with them and they know that and they're loving it more too. You're you're where I want to be, Debs. That's that's where I want to be because, like I said before, I, I worry that I'm my, my number two reason for not trusting myself is I, am I – Am I the, the kind of person? Am I the fun kind of person? You know, the 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 relatable kind of person that people want to hang around when I'm sober. I I worry that I'm not, and then that leads me to my number three, which is well, do I really want to be maintain my sobriety? And I did it for four and a half years, and and I you're you're right because I, you know, it wasn't miser- miserable the whole time. It was rough at first, and it got easier and easier, but I regrettably went back to to the bottle. And and now here I am, stuck, and I, I I've come nowhere near that that stretch in the, in the in the three times I've tried again. So, yeah, I I want to get back, and you know, I aspire to get back to where you're at, uh, or or to get I don't know that I ever was there, but to get where you're at. Yeah, Brian, I I can relate. It's like this, especially that social anxiety where you feel like you can't do it without. But I, anymore, I tell myself, you either you have the choice to either be anxious now, just be in the moment anxious and get through it. Or you drink now, and then you're going to have all that anxiety, just as uncomfortable as you would have it now, later when the alcohol withdrawal kicks in. And when I rehash the entire thing, what I did when I was drinking, because I was drinking. So try it the way where you're there in the moment sober. And this discomfort is gone when the situation is gone, but then you're done with it. And you did everything you could in your power. (laughs) And everybody's uncomfortable. You know what I mean? So I kind of walk myself through that. It's like, do you want it now or do you want it later? Because you have that choice. And I'm choosing now. And I used to do later. That didn't work much better either, honestly, because I'd wake up in the middle of the light, night with panic attacks about uh, what I didn't da- what I didn't say and what I said and how I behaved and whatnot. Yeah, yeah. usually the, uh, the, the so, discomfort is a lot worse if you yeah. choose the later option because you do something stupid or embarrassing. Right. Or, you know, and then you, you know, can't that. even trust yourself when you drink, right? So it's it's like this alternative is now going better for me where I say I can trust myself in the moment. I don't have to work through this buzz that I'm feeling just so I'm not feeling anxiety. I still, I'm not clear-headed to act and 
say what I want to say. And nobody's going to notice that part because they're all buzzed and they don't pick it up. (laughs) So, you know, that's like, that's a really good point in that all of the work that we're doing, all the time we spend sitting here talking about all of the hard things that we go through and processing them, the more we do that, the more we can trust ourselves to get through the next situation and the easier it's going to be. Like, it was so hard to get through fairly simple situations when I was in week one or week two or month one or and now looking back those things don't really even take effort you build you build muscles like you build sober muscles and the more you do that the more you can trust yourself I think when I mean Deb's mentioned it like you put yourself in a situation you choose to go to an event you choose to go anywhere you choose to go a lot of the times I know I did, I found myself like feeling like I'm stuck, like I can't leave. And then when you realize that there, you are nowhere near as important as you think you are, <laughs> right? Like I can get up. I'm now uncomfortable. I'm ready to be done here. I can turn around and I can go and say goodbye and I can say thank you for you know having me here. I don't have to explain myself any more than that. I'm ready to go home. It was a really amazing time. I had a great time. I'll talk to you later. And leave. And then this way, you like, you know, you always, oh my God, they're going to be so upset that I didn't hang around to the end. Well, who loses in that battle? You do. You wake up and then you're not present again the next day. And then you're not present again the next day. All we all all we did was we didn't trust ourselves to leave when we when that little inner voice inside said, "You know what? I'm done here." That was the time, and then it says it again. You know what? I'm done here, and then you either crack the drink, or you stop asking for help, or you do something like that. And and all that is is not trusting yourself to do that right thing for you in that moment, because in the end, you're not really hurting anybody else's feelings. You're just hurting yourself. Yeah, got to be true to you. You've got to be. And looking, and I've done this before too, or if I've gone to somebody's place, and I've actually rang the host and said, look, I'm going to come, but it'll only be for a couple of hours. If I don't get to say goodbye to you, consider that happening now. But I just want to thank you for having me, and it's done. Okay? Mm-hmm. That way, I don't have to go through all the rigmarole of when I'm out of there, I'm out of there. Because you know for a fact, after people are drinking, they're going to say, oh, come on, stick around. Oh, we don't want you to go. Da, 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 da. You know what? Too much energy, too much time. I'm very straight to the point these days. It's taken a lot of work, though, to get to this point. And, Brian, I want to say to you, I've worked my butt off day in, day out. I was doing this sobriety I was obsessed with eight hours a day, digging down holes, trying to find things, rewiring my brain. So, again, we're all at different hugs and times, depending on how much time that we can dedicate to the cause. And I wasn't working, so I could dedicate a, a lot to it. And I really love just working out the best way to custom design my own program and what would work for me. And I do do that now. And now that I've explained to people and everybody knows that I'm not drinking, they understand. I've said to them, guys, if I don't want to be here or if I get triggered, you understand I've got to go. And they're like, yeah, sure we do. Sure we do. So it's the opposite now. They're not going to question me if I say I have to leave. They just know I have to go. And that's great. That takes so much 
so much anxiety out and I don't want to go to back to being anxious again and feeling awkward. And I will say this to you, and no feeling, no feeling is final, no feeling. The cravings will be 20 minutes. The awkwardness will be maybe half an hour. It will pass. You can move on. Aunt Ye is right. It's exactly what you're saying. If you can just get through it, it's okay. But no feeling is final. You know, something else will, and the conversation will change. And before you know it, you'll find yourself being involved. I mean, if I go to somebody's place, sometimes I take my own fancy glass and I'll drink always out of a fancy glass. I still drink out of my wine glass. I wouldn't have done it in the first six months. I wouldn't have gone to a pub in six months. I wouldn't have, you know, I didn't. I was like you, Steve. It was very, very rigid because I didn't trust myself at that point in time. And neither should I have. Mm-hmm. Took probably the first 12 months was all about just not drinking. That's why I too had a cross addiction for eating because I've eaten my way into sobriety. But that's what it took. You know, now I'm trying to work on the weight and the emotional side in the second year. But I understand why this part, it's not just like I thought, 30 days done, I'm going to be fantastic. It's all over. I'm healed. Yay. Let's shout it to the clouds. Well, that's not how it happened at all as I as I learned. And it is a forever path because, like Julie said, we're forever learning. We're forever learning. There's always something else to learn. So sobriety is far from boring people, let me tell you. And it's good stuff. I think that what you said right there, every craving will pass. Every emotion will pass. And somebody said something to me way early on that stuck. And that is nobody has ever regretted waking up sober. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, Debs, Ryan, Acha, thank you three for coming on tonight and joining and sharing your thoughts and sharing your experiences with us. It's been really, really awesome. Thanks for having me. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. I've been really great, you guys. I think it will. Thank you so much for sharing. All right. Till next time. We'd also like to thank our listeners for sharing this space with us. Remember to subscribe or follow to keep getting new content. And if you have any comments or topic suggestions, you can email us at throughtheglassrecovery.com at gmail.com. We'll see you next time as we continue to explore life on the other side of alcohol.